Well, this week I'm in the second part of a series entitled Lessons from Hezekiah. Last week the Spirit of God moved in this place. I've got to tell you, we are expecting God during the end of this year and into next to move in powerful ways. I love when you read about these men in Scripture and these women in Scripture who would seek the face of God and then boldly declare what he's saying, you began to see a revival and a renewal sweep through the nation of Israel. How many of you believe that the church in America and America itself needs a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit? And that's what we're praying for. So I want to read 2 Kings 18, 5-7 and jump in uh, where we're picking up from last week. It says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. He remained faithful to the Lord in everything. Say that word with me, please. Everything. And he carefully obeyed all the commands of the Lord had given Moses. So the Lord was with him. And Hezekiah was successful in everything he did. Holy Spirit, while we're grateful for what you did in this place last week, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to move again. The same way that you touched Hezekiah, the same way that you moved in the nation of Israel, we invite you to come and have your way in us, in this place, and in our nation. May we decrease, and may you increase, and everybody said a good amen. Amen. So, last week we left off with Hezekiah calling the people back to God. Remember, his father Ahab was a wicked king. And when he died, Hezekiah became the king, and he began to read the scriptures, and he understood that it was time to celebrate the Passover. How many of you are thankful for what God has done in your life? Remember, the Israelites were in, Israel, were in Egypt, they were slaves, and God sent an angel to kill the firstborn of all those in Egypt, but passed over the children of Israel so that Pharaoh would let them go. How many of you are glad that the Lord has passed over and forgiven you of your sin? If you are, say a good amen. I'm so thankful that he set us free. And Hezekiah began to call the nation back to the Lord and to a place of worship. And because he did, a new generation ushered in a new revival. One of the things that I left off last week is reminding you that the moment we forget our Passover... The moment we forget when we gave our life to Jesus, the moment that we forget that we have been set free out of the old life and we have been brought into the new life is the moment that we begin to backslide and we begin to walk away from the Lord. Now where we left off last week was an extended portion of Scripture where Hezekiah called the nation and invited them to come back to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover. But Hezekiah refused to be influenced by certain people who had no desire for the things of God. I want to pick up where we left off. 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verses 10 through 11 says, The runners went from town to town throughout Ephraim and Manasseh and as far as the territory of Zebulun. But most of the people just laughed at the runners and made fun of them. 
However, some people from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. Remember that Hezekiah, before he sent out the runners and the people to come out and invited them to Jerusalem, he had begun to repair the temple. He had begun to repair the things that had fallen down because they were neglected. The house of God had simply become a warehouse to store things. He emptied it out and he began to return it to the use that it was designed for, for the worship of God. You would have thought when these runners went throughout the nation, that everybody would have responded to the call to come back to the Lord. But the Bible says that most of the people just laughed at the runners and made fun of them. I want you to get this, church. One of the things we learned from Hezekiah is not everyone has a heart for God. Not everyone has a desire for the things of God. And not everyone will see the value of returning to the Lord. Our nation that was once a Christian nation is no longer acting and living as a Christian nation. The body of Christ even, when you begin to call people back to a place of holiness, back to a place of worship of God, away from the things of the world and a commitment. Listen, not everybody will jump for joy. Not everybody will be excited. As a matter of fact, most people will look at it and think that you're out of your mind. They will laugh at it. They will think that it is not a thing they need to do. Again, I want you to notice the words most and the word some. It will surprise you who is among the most and who are among the some. The Bible said that most of the people laughed. It is never the majority that will humble themselves. It is never the majority that will return to the Lord at first. Most of the people just laugh. However, some of the people, touch someone next to you and say some of the people, some of the people humbled themselves, the Bible says. The uncommon, and that's what we were talking about with Hezekiah. As a matter of fact, this study I'm doing with the men in our men's breakfast, and we'll pick that up again in January. Listen, Hezekiah was an uncommon person. That's what I named that message, being uncommon. And... The uncommon refuse to be influenced by the small-minded and the petty. Notice, though, that that was the majority, not the minority. And one of the greatest drains on people, on families, on organizations, in churches, in nations, are those that are petty. Those who are uncommon understand, listen, the difference between the interesting and the important. I want to say that again. Those that are uncommon understand the difference between the interesting and the important. You see, the fact that most laughed is interesting, but unimportant. It might be discouraging. It might be frustrating. You may even find it annoying, but it really wasn't all that important. Hezekiah refused to be deterred by the people who laughed, and he decided that he was going to carry on with the people who would humble themselves. 
you and I have to decide if we're going to pay attention to the interesting or to the important. And we need to know the difference. I want to tell you, no matter what goes on in our nation, no matter what goes on in our world, God is still God. You can either choose to be with the majority, or you can choose to be with those that will humble themselves. And listen, that's what is important. It doesn't matter what everyone else does. It matters what the people of God will do. How many of you this morning will number yourself among the people of God? If you will, would you give the Lord a shout of praise in the house of God? Hezekiah realized that some people would embrace what was important and those were the ones that he partnered with he invited everyone but he worked with those with the same heart and he refused to get caught up in the negative that's uncommon it's easy to focus on the negative it's easy to focus on those who aren't with you But Hezekiah embraced those who answered the call, and they began to seek the face of God. He understood that you could lead a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. Jesus understood this. He said in Matthew 22, verse 14, For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few actually answer the call. And just because the majority of people don't seek the things of God didn't mean that Hezekiah was going with the most. He knew that it only takes some to bring an entire nation back to God. I want to tell you what the Bible calls that. He calls that a remnant. And I wish that someone in this church would understand what I'm saying to you this morning. If you are part of the remnant, all it takes is a few to share the gospel of Christ. All it takes is a few to return to the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. All it takes is a few who will seek the face of God and who will honor what God has done in their life and what God wants to do, and they will make a difference in the land. Hezekiah teaches us that those who are uncommon are willing to be unorthodox or a little different in their approach to things out of compassion for others. Listen, one of the greatest killers of moving forward is the saying, we've never done it that way before. And we also need to remember that just because we're doing this differently one time, doesn't mean that's how we're going to do it from now on. In 2 Chronicles 30, 18-20 says, Most of those who came from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not purified themselves. But King Hezekiah prayed for them, and they were allowed to eat the Passover meal anyway, even though it was contrary to the requirements of the law. For Hezekiah said, May the Lord who is good pardon those who decide to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors, even though they are not properly cleansed for the ceremony. And the Lord listened to Hezekiah's prayer, and he healed the people. There was a certain ritual that anyone who was going to participate in Passover had to go through, and it took place over a certain amount of time. And they didn't have time to do it. 
they were already going to be a month late in celebrating the Passover. And Hezekiah prayed. And God listened and healed. The thing I love about Hezekiah is he understood the power of mercy and the power of grace. Do you know that it is amazing what one person can do for many when they'll intercede? Just like Jesus, who went to the cross and died for all of us, one man for every human. Do you realize the difference that you can make? Mom and dad, the difference that you can make in your family. Grandma and grandpa, the difference that you can make as you pray for your grandchildren. Neighbor, you can make a difference in your neighborhood. Maybe you can't reach all of Jupiter, but you live on a street that you know with people and neighbors that you can talk to. You can begin to pray for them and stand in the gap for their salvation and for their life. The Bible says that the Lord heard Hezekiah's prayer because he stood into the gap for the people and that God responded. I want you to listen to me. God was more concerned about the heart than he was about the rituals and the rules. God is more concerned about the heart of things than the letter of things when the letter of things gets in the way of the heart things. i got to tell you, we need to get to a place I know that we have our traditions and our things, but may they never get in the way of bringing people to Jesus. After this, the Bible tells us that Judah would return to the law in the way the things are supposed to be done because those laws then became a heart thing. Remember, the Bible says we're to write the words and commandments of God on the tablets of our heart. There may be a point when people come to the Lord, they don't understand all the things they're supposed to do. But I want to tell you, when you bring them to Jesus, God will begin to change them and begin to deal with the heart. And then at that point, you begin to follow his ways. Aren't you glad that God didn't ask you to get all cleaned up before you came to Jesus? Aren't you glad that Jesus said he'd do the cleaning? Aren't you glad that Jesus said he'd do the changing? I remember one time we did a baptism in our church there in Okeechobee and a guy had just given his life to Jesus a couple days before. He had been involved in gangs and drugs. He didn't know a whole lot about Jesus. He didn't know a whole lot about the things of God. And we brought him down, we put him into the tub. And when he came out of that water, he looked at everybody in the congregation. He said, that is, and he used a cuss word, great. There were about three gasps in the congregation. People went, <laughs> and then everybody began to give a shout to the Lord. Listen, can I tell you what? God had saved him. He was still working on him. Listen, and I'm okay with that. I pray that we stop getting freaked out when people who are just coming to the Lord are still getting cleaned up. Can we say a good amen? Listen, I'll deal with that all day long as people will come to Jesus. God will change the heart as they begin to serve him and grow in the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. Those who are uncommon understand that it's the spirit of the law that's more vital than the letter of the law. These people had a heart to please the Lord. And those who are uncommon will go to God for those who are unable to get to Him themselves. 
God hears the prayers of those who are truly concerned for others. I pray this Christmas as we're celebrating there's joy and there's gifts being given and the wonderful decorations in your home and in church buildings. I pray that we'll never lose sight of the reason that Jesus came. And that was so that people could know him. Another thing that we learn from Hezekiah is he teaches us that what we are to do in times of real and overwhelming crisis. All of us deal with incredibly bad news. All of us deal with enemies and overwhelming situations that we have absolutely no control over ourselves. But the uncommon stay level-headed in times of crisis. They keep their wits about them where all around them are losing theirs. There's two specific times that Hezekiah faced an incredible crisis. One was nationally, and the other was personally. I don't know if you know this, but you can go through things on a big level and on a personal level. How many of you have ever had a couple different battlefronts in your life? How many of you have had to deal with the enemy coming at you from different directions? Both times affected Hezekiah deeply, but he didn't panic. He turned to God. The king of Assyria sent letters threatening Hezekiah and all his kingdom with ruin. As a matter of fact, if you read about it, it's pretty interesting what he began to write. He began to not only taunt the king, but he taunted the king's God. At that point in history, Assyria was unstoppable. Everywhere that that kingdom went, it conquered everyone. They were powerful. They were an overwhelming force. They would surround cities and literally starve them in submission, and they would mock them while they were doing it. The Bible tells us that they mocked the God of Judah, and Hezekiah's answer was to pray. 2 Chronicles 32, 16-23, I want to read this to you. And Sennacherib's officers further mocked the Lord God and his servant Hezekiah, heaping insult upon insult. I don't know if you've noticed, but your enemy, the devil, doesn't mind heaping insult in your mind. You've all dealt with that. The king, Sennacherib, the king coming from Assyria, also sent letters scorning the Lord, the God of Israel. He wrote, Just as the gods, little g, Of all the other nations failed to rescue their people from my power, so the God of Hezekiah will also fail. The Assyrian officials who brought the letters shouted this in Hebrew to the people gathered on the walls of the city. I want you to get the picture. They walked into the middle of the city and they were reading this letter aloud, mocking the people who were listening to what they were saying. The Assyrian officials who brought the letters shouted this in Hebrew to the people gathered on the walls of the city, trying to terrify them so it would be easier to capture the city. These officers talked about the God of Jerusalem as though he were one of the pagan gods made by human hands. Then King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, cried out in prayer to God in heaven and 
the Lord sent an angel who destroyed the Assyrian army with all its commanders and officers. So, Sennacherib was forced to return home in disgrace to his own land. And when he returned to the temple of his God, some of his own sons killed him there with a sword. That is how the Lord rescued Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem from King Sennacherib of Assyria and from all the others who threatened them. So there was peace throughout the land. From then on, King Hezekiah became highly respected among all the surrounding nations, and many gifts for the Lord arrived at Jerusalem with valuable presents for King Hezekiah too. Isaiah 37 tells us what Hezekiah and Isaiah did when that letter was given to them. It says, And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. I want you to hear me this morning. There is power in a nation when the king and the prophets work together. When the sacred and the secular seek the face of God. Listen, in America we separate church and state. I just want to remind you that was never part of the thing. That's nowhere in any of our documents. That was written in a letter that wasn't even referring about keeping the state out. It was about bringing the church into the things of the state. There is power in a nation when the kings and prophets work together. And I love how these men of God took what they needed done and they spread it out before the Lord. In today's language, we'd say that they just laid it out before God. God, here it is. Here's what we need. And we need your help. This is what we did in September. I felt the Lord clearly lead us through our month of prayer to write the requests down and bring them to the altar and lay them on the altar. We're going to do that again in January. Praying for our nation, praying for our families, praying for our city. Listen, I want you to begin to prepare your hearts. January, we always take and we start our year with a month of seeking the face of God. It is a month of prayer. It can also be a month of fasting. But these verses in my own life have seen me through some incredible times. I've taken the things that the enemy has tried to whisper in my head or the things that I've seen the enemy try to do in my life or the life of a church and I've written them on papers when I've pastored this church now, going on 18 years. We have come and laid them before the Lord right here on the altar. I come in every day, and I'll write them on paper and just lay them before the Lord. I learned that from Hezekiah. The needs are specific. They're detailed. And they're understandable to me and to God. You know why it's good to write some things down? Is sometimes when you start writing down what you want, you realize you don't even know what you want. You ever been there? Too many times our prayers are like, well, God, I need your help. God said, would you be a little more specific? And here's what I've learned. You can never be too specific for God. Here's what I'd like to see in my family. Here's what I'd like to see in the church. Here's the obstacles that we're facing. Here's what God needs to do 
in our country. And we begin to write them down and cry out to the Lord. You see, here's what's happening. God, here's what people are saying. Here are the doubts that I have. You ever wrote down your doubts? Oh God, I want you to do this in my life, but I got to tell you, I'm having a hard time believing for it. You ever been there? There's like three of you going, because you're afraid to say you've had doubt. You need to get over yourself. Everybody deals with doubt. Doubt is not unbelief. Doubt can become unbelief. Doubt says, I don't see a way through this. I don't see how it's going to happen in the natural. And that's reality. Doubt says, I really want it to happen, but I'm not sure it can happen. And it recognizes that unless gets, God gets involved, it ain't going to happen. And it's that doubt that you take and write down and say, Lord, I really am struggling with this. I'm having a hard time trusting you in this. Help my unbelief. Help me where I'm struggling. And again, I tell you, the Holy Spirit is gracious and He is good and He will speak to you. And you will find that as you lay that out before the Lord, you're going to find yourself praying a whole lot differently than you were at the beginning. Listen, you can either panic or you can get before God. Listen, God can take care of our problems and our enemies better than we can. And in ways that we could never think of and in ways that we could never make happen because he is an amazing God it's the Israelites didn't even have to fight because the enemy just got up and left because God sent an angel to destroy them I love how it says that the enemy left in disgrace they didn't even leave gracefully they were so whooped, they just got up and left. They didn't even care how they looked. They were wounded, they were killed, they were ruined, and they were just going their way. Listen, I want to remind you that God isn't about making the enemy leave gracefully. He wants him to leave in disgrace, and you're going to look good in the process. Come on, let's give the Lord glory. You need to remember that one angel of the Lord can do more than an entire army. Uncommon people never stop trusting God and make everything a matter of prayer. Another thing that Hezekiah reminds us is that great victories don't exempt us from personal difficulties. How many of you in this place ever had a really awesome victory and then like the next day your life fell apart? If you've ever been there, come on, just wave at me. You ever been there? Isn't it nice to know you're not alone? That's strategic from the enemy. You see, right after God defeated Hezekiah's enemies and sent them packing, he became ill. Isaiah 38, 1 through 5 says, About that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill. He just experienced victory, celebrating, and then the attack on his body. And the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to visit him. He gave the king this message. I'm going to read the rest. I've got to tell you, I want to go back in history and see this relationship between Hezekiah and Isaiah. Because they were always together. They dealt with some pretty heavy things together. They were familiar with one another. And he said, this is what the Lord says, set your affairs in order for you're going to die. You will not recover from this illness. Insult to injury. When Hezekiah heard this, 
He turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Simple prayer. And then he broke down and wept bitterly. And then this message came to Isaiah from the Lord. Go back to Hezekiah and tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says, I've heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life. 2 Kings 20 tells us how that all came to pass. I want you to get this. But before Isaiah had left the middle courtyard, this message came to him from the Lord. Go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. And three days from now, you'll get out of bed and go to the temple of the Lord. I love how God gives us the details. Isaiah delivered the news and then he got out of there. You're going to die, get your affairs in order, you'll be dead in a couple days, see ya. I'm like, listen, prophets are different, aren't they? These guys have walked together, the friend. If you don't think prophets are different, that's why people in church have a hard time with those who are used by God like that. Because they're just not normal. They're not really well socialized. But as he's walking out of the courtyard... God heard the prayer that fast. In the moment that he wept, Isaiah go back. Listen, even those who live uncommon lives have very human moments. I want to say that again. Even those who live uncommon lives have very human moments. I remember growing up in the church, I'd watched the mighty men and women of God And as a child, I just thought their whole lives were perfect. Man, I just thought they walked with God, they walked on water, and that was their life. Then I grew up. (laughs) Uncommon people who do powerful things and walk in the anointing and goodness of God still have moments. But before Hezekiah wept, he prayed. His default setting was trust and faith. Then he broke down. And notice that he broke down privately. Sometimes the most powerful thing we can pray is through our tears. Even Jesus wept. As a matter of fact, that's the shortest verse in all the Bible. Just because you strive to live uncommonly doesn't mean that we will be unaffected by the things that impact us all. And I love the transparency of this. Hezekiah didn't want to die. Listen, faith is not the absence of emotion. Faith first, then feeling. He prayed, and then he wept. Listen, sometimes the things of of life get to be a bit much. The battles doing what was courageous, and then dealing with sickness brought this strong and faithful man to his breaking point. And he wept bitterly. Some of you need to hear this. You have been an uncommon person and you have watched with God 
and the Lord has allowed you to be taken to the end of yourself. I mean, you've seen victories. You've seen powerful things. You've seen God work through your life. You've seen people healed. You've seen families saved. You have been steadfast. You have been faithful. But the battles have been hard. They have taken a toll on you. And your body feels it and your spirit feels it. And all of a sudden, something else hit you and it all got to be just a bit too much. That doesn't make you any less uncommon. That makes you someone who has been a target of the enemy. And it's okay to be a person of faith and still have it be just a bit too much. Hezekiah had a good cry. The Bible says he wept bitterly. This means he was sobbing. It was emotional, it was spiritual, it was raw, yeah. and it was deep. And someone again needs to hear it, just because you weep does not mean that you lack faith. That's right. Sometimes faith is expressed in tears. And Hezekiah's prayer of faith caused God to add years to his life. There's a whole new depth to that. One of the things that I've learned walking with the Lord is that sometimes there are days you feel more powerful than you ever thought and you're thankful for the movement and anointing and power of God in your life. But if that's all it ever was, you'd never go deeper. Sometimes God's got to take you from the mountaintop into the valley so that you get to a place that's raw and real and you're broken and you're weeping and there's nothing else that you can do about it. Everything, there is nothing graceful about what you're doing. Your faith is in the wall. Your face is in the wall. Your faith is being poured out to the Lord. Your tears are streaming down your face. The snot is coming out of your nose and you have no strength to get out of bed. He's still God. There is something that God will do in the moments. God was trying to take Hezekiah from being a man who was courageous in battle to somewhere even deeper in his walk with God. Hezekiah's faith caused God to add years to his life. And then I love what Hezekiah did. He asked Isaiah for a sign from God that he'd be healed, and he asked big. I love that. 2 Kings 20 says, Meanwhile, Hezekiah had said to Isaiah, What sign will the Lord give to me to prove that he'll heal me, and that I will go to the temple of the Lord three days from now? And Isaiah replied, This is the sign from the Lord to prove that he will do as he promised. Would you like the shadow on the sundial to go forward 10 steps or backward 10 steps? The shadow always moves forward, Hezekiah replied. So that would be easy. Make it go 10 steps backward instead. So Isaiah the prophet asked the Lord to do this, and he caused the shadow to move 10 steps backward on the sundial of Ahaz. Remember, Ahaz was Hezekiah's evil father. And God said, listen, he built this for himself, but I'm going to show that I'm God. In the place of what your father did, I'm going to prove to you that even though he was wicked, you have chosen to be righteous, and I'm going to hear your prayer. Listen, people of faith do not ask for easy I think there are times to ask bigly. That's a Greek term that means huge. 
It's huge. It's bigger. Listen, because Hezekiah learned to ask specifically for others, he learned that it's okay to ask God for reassurance for himself. Sometimes you just need to hear. And God answered his prayer, and he caused the shadow to move back ten steps. Listen, there are several times that God has done this in my life. There are several times that God has done that in the life of this church. We asked bigly, and he answered bigly. One of the things we learned from Hezekiah is that when we're doing well, we need to guard against pride. Sometimes the enemy has taken inventory while we're taking a victory lap. I watch Hezekiah's life and what it reminds me is that each time God does something, I must be careful to keep living for the Lord. In 2 Chronicles 32, it says about that time, Hezekiah uh, became deathly ill and he prayed to the Lord who healed him and gave him a miraculous sign. But Hezekiah did not respond appropriately to the kindness shown him and he became proud. So the Lord's anger came against him and against Judah and Jerusalem. And then Hezekiah humbled himself and repented of his pride as did the people of Jerusalem So the Lord's anger did not fall on them during Hezekiah's lifetime. Hezekiah was very wealthy and highly honored. He built special treasuries for his silver, gold, precious stones and spices, and for his shields and other valuable items. He also constructed many storehouses for his grain, new wine and olive oil, and he made many stalls for his cattle and pens for his flocks and sheep and goats. He built many towns and acquired vast flocks and herds, for God had given him great wealth. He blocked up the upper spring of Gihon and brought the water down a tunnel to the west side of the city of David, and so he succeeded in everything he did. However, when ambassadors arrived from Babylon, the Assyrians, to ask about the remarkable events that had taken place in the land, God withdrew from Hezekiah in order to test him to see what was really in his heart. 2 Kings chapter 20 picks it up. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked him, What did these men want? Where were they from? And Hezekiah replied, They came from the distant land of Babylon. What did they see in your palace? Isaiah asked. They saw everything, Hezekiah replied. I showed them everything I own, all my royal treasuries. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Listen to this message from the Lord. The time is coming when everything in your palace, all the treasuries stored up by your ancestors until now, will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your very own sons will be taken away into exile. They will become eunuchs. He will serve in the palace of Babylon's king. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, This message you have given me from the Lord is good. 
For the king was thinking, at least there will be peace and security during my lifetime. Hezekiah teaches us about our need to constantly have our motives tested by God throughout our lifetime. Hezekiah was showing off. Those who were once his enemies now wanted to see his blessings. He thought that he'd gained their approval. He thought that he had won them over. He thought that the Babylonians would be happy for him. They were actually looking for his vulnerabilities. That's how the enemy works. I want to remind you that when you are in your winning season, that Satan is still after you. He will appeal to your vanity, to your pride, your desire for approval, and then he will do it to gain a strategic advantage. Your enemy is never celebrating with you. They are always plotting how to get you. Don't be naive. Hezekiah teaches us about spiritual warfare. That when you're walking in the blessing of God, never assume that you're not vulnerable to the tricks of the enemy. And listen, I'm sure that on some level, Hezekiah wasn't real thrilled with Isaiah. It was like the prophet was raining on his parade. I want to remember that he walked through a great deal together. When I was praying through this yesterday and reading through, and then this morning, the Lord reminded me of this. A lot of times in our victory seasons, we just always want the men and women of God to come right along with us and celebrate and cheer us on even when we're in sin. And just pat us on the back and tell us it's going to be okay. While Hezekiah and Isaiah walked through a great deal together, I promise you there were times that that Isaiah walked in and Hezekiah was probably going, great. I'm sure there were some days if he lived in today's world that Isaiah called to have a meeting with Hezekiah and he told his secretary, let him know I'm not in. And Isaiah's going, yeah, I'll be right in. Church, can I just tell you, we need God to be there so that we're always right with Him. We need those people in our lives who will pray with us and for us, who will encourage us and bless us and give us the bad news and the good news. But we also need those same people in our lives to speak to us when we're giving the enemy a strategic advantage. I was talking with a soldier one day. He was walking through one of his bases. And he saw that there were some Chinese men on the base actually looking and talking on the phone and taking pictures. And he stopped and he went and got some other officers who confronted the people and they found out they were spies on our American base. We got to a place as America, we thought, just let them in. What can they do? Foolish. This is going on in our country. I want you to hear me 
if earthly enemies will do that, know that our spiritual enemies will do the same thing. The last thing that we're going to learn in this study from the life of Hezekiah is that it's easy to start thinking about yourself even when you initially cared for others. One of Isaiah's initial concerns was what the sins of Judah would lead to for the future generations. Last week we were talking about Hezekiah started out and he said, listen, if we'll repent, then our children and our grandchildren will be blessed after us. But one of the last things we hear Hezekiah say to me was pretty shocking. In Isaiah 39, it says, Some of your very own sons will be taken away into exile. They will become eunuchs who will serve in the palace of Babylon's king. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, This message you have given me from the Lord is good. For the king was thinking, At least there will be peace and security during my lifetime. That's pretty cold. Listen, instead of becoming kings... Some of his very sons were going to become eunuchs. This means that they were going to be castrated and take care of the the Babylonian king's harem. As a father, he thought, well, at least it ain't happening to me. That is messed up. At least I'll have peace in my lifetime. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Today I see bumper stickers and on and RVs and cars that say I'm spending my children's inheritance. My friend, that's cold. It may be true, but we have to be concerned about the generations that follow us. The Bible says that we need to leave our children more than just an inheritance, that we need to leave them a heritage. If the Lord tarries, I see our nation and our world in an absolute mess. Listen, we're spending money that our children and grandchildren will have to pay back. Or worse, it'll lead to collapse. I've heard people say, well, at least that won't be our problem to solve. No, but it will be theirs. That's not good parenting. We need to be looking forward down the road in compassion. We should want the life of our children and our grandchildren to be better spiritually, politically, financially, and with the family than it was for us. Oh, how I pray that that would be our desire. The next couple weeks, most of us will sit with our children and our grandchildren around a Christmas tree. I love these moments. I love when we sit around the dinner table and I can look in the eyes of my kids and my grandkids. Aren't they special? I thought it was cool growing up and having Christmas as a kid. It's gotten even better as a grandparent. And while those special moments are precious, When I look in their eyes, I want to make sure that they are able to have those moments with their families. Celebrating salvation. Celebrating the goodness of God. 
It's been really interesting. What I've loved is that with our children, even when they're not able to be here with us in our home, they're doing many of the same things. And what I love about our technology is they're calling while they're doing it, being a part of what we're doing. We aren't just leaving them an inheritance, but a heritage. It starts with the people of God. You see, this is King Hezekiah. But not only did he call God's people to a place of holiness and back to the things of God, he called an entire nation. Remember, those were God's people, and not all of them responded. Oh, can I tell you, church, not everybody in America is going to respond to a call for revival, but some will. Not everybody in the modern church is going to, when we call out, come back to the Lord, not everyone will respond. Some will laugh, but some will come back. When the Lord said, I want you to preach this message in December, I thought, well, Lord, that's not a very Christmassy message. He said, I didn't ask you to preach Christmas, I asked you to preach my word. I love that God has called us to be uncommon. To see God work in power and in might. Because Hezekiah took that stand, because Hezekiah called people back, there was a revival. He didn't get it all right. Here's the cool thing. We can learn from that. That means we can. Turn to someone next to you and say, we can. Go ahead. Listen, that's why we learn from history. You don't go back and make the same mistakes. And listen, that doesn't just apply to the church spiritually. That applies to a nation. Hey. Would you stand with me this morning? Over the last two weeks, we've learned a great deal from the life of Hezekiah. My prayer is that you would make and ask the Lord to show you how to apply that to your life. My prayer is also that as we come into the new year, that God would send revival to our church. That God would send a revival to our city. That God would move fresh among his people. Not everyone will respond, but some will. If you're one of those some, would you just lift your hand and wave my way. Father, we invite you in this place in the name of Jesus. And we say, Holy Spirit, have your way. We thank you for these great lessons that we've learned. And now I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us specifically how to apply them in each of our lives. I thank you, Lord, that there are some in this room that you've taken them through deep waters. Deep waters. They've had victories. They've laid hands on the sick and see them recover. They've cast out demons and see them go. They've spoken life and see lives change. They've seen family come back. Yet here they are in the midst of one of the greatest battles of their own life. Personally, they're in a place where they are turned to the wall and going, Lord, unless you change me and heal me, my life's over. I speak life over them in the name of Jesus. Just as Isaiah turned around, I thank you that, Lord, you speak a word over us when we just come to you honestly with where we are.
Thank you, Lord. The enemy may have declared death, but you speak life. The enemy said it's over, but I thank you, Lord, it's not. I thank you, Lord, you're adding years to people's life and the viability of what they're going to accomplish. I pray, Lord, that you would keep us from pride. This morning, we repent of any pride. We look at the victories you've done. We look at how you provided for us. We look at how we have been faithful and you have blessed that, how you have, we have both material blessing and spiritual blessing. But Lord, we take none of the glory for ourselves, and we give all the glory to you. Come on, give glory to the Lord this morning. Thank him for all that he's done. Lord, we thank you that you are God. We thank you for all that you've given us. And that belongs to you, not our intellect, not our hard work, not our abilities, not the decisions we've made. All glory goes to you. Father, right now we pray for the next generation. I pray that in 2024 we'd look around this building and we'd see young families and children and grandchildren flooding this place. And not only that, workers to do the work of the ministry. That, Father God, we would have the problem of not having enough space because we're reaching the next generation. Lord, the enemy can't have our grandchildren. They can't have our grandchildren. They can't have our children. They belong to Jesus. We declare like uh, Joshua did, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We speak that prophetically over our children, over our grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Lord, if you tarry, we pray that the heritage would be, they'll look back and see us having made the choice to serve you. And that will look down from heaven and see them on fire with a passion for Jesus and a love for people. We thank you, God, that you will do that work. I pray that, God, as we go through this Christmas season, we would keep before us the fact of why Jesus came. The greatest gift, freedom from sin, eternal life, and why relationship with the Father. I pray that, God, we would see salvations. I pray that we would see deliverance. I pray that we would see healing, just as your word promised. And I thank you that you'll do it. Would you just lift your hands and say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way in our families. Have your way in this church. Have your way in Jupiter and the surrounding communities, God. Have your way. Move in power and in might. I pray that we wouldn't get so caught up in tradition that we forget that you move in power. I pray that we wouldn't get so caught up in celebration that we forget that there are people that aren't celebrating and they will be as they come to Christ. Have your way. And we'll give you glory for it. In the mighty name of Jesus. If you receive that, would you say a good amen? The Lord is good. Amen. Listen, may he bless you. May may his face shine upon you. May he give you peace. I pray that you enjoy the next couple weeks. Take time to rest. Take time to prepare. We will be here this Wednesday night. I look forward to seeing you at 7 o'clock. God bless you. We'll see you then.